Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is Thursday, September 15th, 2011, and this is episode 745 of the Survival Podcast. And I have a really great guest hanging on the line, Mr. Tim Glantz of old grouch military surplus who's here to talk to us not really about mill surplus today but more about vehicles and prepper vehicles specifically older diesel vehicles how to do really cool stuff like run your vehicle on half diesel fuel and half used motor oil and many many other cool things before i bring them on though let's go ahead and take care of our housekeeping uh, first up, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Emergency Essentials. Emergency Essentials is a great website. You can find them at BePrepared.com. I guess that's a domain. The Boy Scouts, if they were prepared enough, they would have gotten to it first. Uh, I actually found out, though, they're at BePrepared.org. I still think they should have grabbed the .com if they were that prepared. Uh, that tells you how prepared Emergency Essentials is to help you be prepared for whatever may come your way. If you check out Emergency Essentials, you'll quickly find out they are the place to go for long-term storage food items. They have everything you can think of, usually in stock and ready to go out the door uh, very, very quickly. They have great pricing. They even have some really cool uh, food calculators where you can calculate your food needs for as long as you need to supply it for your family and a lot of other great informational products as well to help you get started prepping the right way. So check out Emergency Essentials at BePrepared.com today. Next up today, Western Botanicals. Western Botanicals is the place that I go to for every bit of my herbal needs, man. If I need anything uh, from an herbal standpoint, and I don't have it growing in my backyard or in my cabinet already uh, or in my kit, I go over to Western Botanicals and I check them out because I know they're going to have it. If you can think of it, they'll have it there as far as the herbal world goes, whether it's herbal preparations or individual raw herbs. And everything you get there will either be organically grown or wild crafted. On top of that, I mean, the big thing with Western Botanicals is if you're not sure what you need or you're not sure what you should get or you're not sure what you should do with an individual situation, you pick the phone up and real people talk to you and help you make those decisions. Uh, many times you'll end up talking to Dr. Christensen yourself, and if not him, a very uh, well-informed member of their staff will help you out. And if it's something that Kyle needs to consider, you know, they'll, they'll say, let me take all your information and they'll get back to you. Uh, it's really uh, a great place to to do business. And remember also, they have a preferred membership that's $50 a year, and you get 25% off all the things that they sell. Well, if you are in the member support brigade, guess what? You get that preferred membership absolutely free. So they're really supporting the show and the member support brigade heavily because that one benefit alone pays for your entire year of member support brigade membership just by itself. Uh, next up, remember Ready Made Resources is running a contest. You can win an AR-15 upper. All you have to do is go by our website, click on the, uh, the link for that, and go ahead and fill out a simple web form, and uh, maybe you'll win that upper. It's worth $890, and since it's an upper, not a firearm, they can ship it anywhere without FFL transfer uh, in the United States. So uh, even if you're in the People's Republic of California or Illinois, uh, you can have that upper shipped to you. You have to put it on your own lower, and what you do with it after that, that's up to you and your own business and local laws and things like that. But it's a great 
prize from a great sponsor. So please make sure if you haven't joined yet to win that AR-15 up or you give it a shot. Next up, remember, connect with me, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and the forum. Those are great ways to get in touch with me and connect with other members of the community. Check out our gear shop. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, you get discounts to 29 different vendors, including the one I mentioned with Western Botanicals. You get over $100 worth of free ebooks, and you're supporting the show at $0.20 cents an episode. If you are prior or active duty service for any of the following, military, law enforcement, or Peace Corps, and you'd like to join, email me before you join. I will give you a special discount code. We call that our National Service Discount. I just answered somebody right before recording this introduction today who said I hate to ask for discounts do not hate to ask for the discount uh, by your service it was earned I believe in supporting our servicemen I believe in supporting law enforcement and uh, I back it up by actually making good on it so when you email me about it don't apologize for asking it's something you've earned let's go ahead now and uh, get to the main topic of today's show All right, folks, and I said during the introduction segment, we have a really cool show for you today. Uh, Tim Glantz, who is the owner of Old Grouch Military Surplus, is, uh, is here with us. And uh, we've been trying to put this interview together for a while. I think he had to cancel once on me, and I had to cancel once on him, but we finally got it together. Uh, great guy, great stuff. Uh, he had the Italian military rucksack that I did a review on for you guys, and I still owe you a review of his uh, water heater that kind of got juggled in between his trip overseas and my move, uh, so we'll get that to you. But Tim is the, uh, again, owner of Old Grouch Military Surplus. He's a veteran of the United States Army, where he served for 18 years as a construction equipment mechanic, wheeled vehicle mechanic, and he's now a warrant officer, engineer, equipment repair tech, still serving in the U.S. Army Reserve. Uh, in addition, Tim is an ASE certified diesel technician, and he collects and restores vintage military vehicles as a hobby. He's been helping people to investigate alternative fuels and survival vehicles for, year, for years. And uh, he's here with us today to talk about just that. Hey, Tim, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks, Jack. Great hey. to be here. Yeah, you know, I really am excited to have you on. I mean, we share a little bit of, uh, of history together. Of course, I was only in the military for three years, so uh, you've forgotten. You remember more than I forgot or something like that. I don't remember how the saying goes. But uh, you've been uh, working in this field with the vehicles in particular as a soldier and now as a civilian and volunteer soldier for a long time. And as you've helped people with it, Uh, you were telling me how you don't call them bug-out vehicles. You call them preparation vehicles or prep vehicles. Why is that? Yeah, Jack, that, that's a recent uh, change in my mindset I've had because I've had a lot of people tell me, well, I don't plan to ever bug out. I don't need a vehicle. And I started thinking most of my plans for a vehicle aren't for leaving. Therefore, I'm going to need it wherever I'm at because uh, none of us, I don't think anybody's under the uh, delusion that we can live in a little fortress and never leave it. So. No matter what happens, we're going to need transportation. So calling it a bug-out vehicle kind of uh, pushes you into, into a corner where you're saying, well, I'll only need it in this situation, and you're really going to need it uh, a lot more than just if you're bugging out. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think the reason that a lot of people, I think, that, that don't limit themselves call it a bug-out vehicle, and probably the reason you did yourself is, well, you might be leaving. You, first of all, you don't know if you're ever – you can't always say I'm never going to leave because, like – Well, if a forest fire's coming, you're, you're gonna leave or you're gonna burn up. But the other side of that is, is if I was prepared to leave, I can expect that that vehicle would deliver everything I need, uh, for any other circumstance as well. 
That's that, that's a very good point, Jack. I just uh, I've had a few people that got th- thrown off by the term, and I think that's why I just just in the last few weeks really decided uh, I should stop using it. I think you're right. I think it is a better term. I just uh, just uh, trying to kind of get my head around it because it is a new term for me as well, and it, I think it is a better term. Uh, what do you think makes a, a great prep vehicle? If I'm looking for a vehicle that's gonna that's gonna see me through disasters and emergencies, whether I'm staying or going, uh, what am I looking for? Well, Jack, I've, I've, the more I've helped people with this, the more I've broken it down into four specific categories. Um, the first one is suitability. Does it fill your needs? And what I mean by that is if you have a family of six, a regular cab pickup truck might be a great one, but not for you. If you have a farm, a blazer or a desk support utility vehicle might not be nearly as good as, as a uh, pickup truck. So you need to look first at does it work for what you're going to need? Because everything else can be great on it, but if you can't use it, it's useless. The second one is reliability. Um, obviously, in, in in a disaster situation, in a survival situation, we need it to be reliable. How likely is it going to break under normal use? How likely is it going to break under abnormal use if we're having to do things we don't normally do in it? And there are several factors you can look at. Uh, one is, is it built rugged? Um, obviously, a one-ton pickup truck is going to be more rugged than a Suzuki Samurai. Um, another thing you can look at is the simpler design, the fewer things that can go wrong. So air conditioning is nice to have, but it can also be a failure point where if that compressor locks up and then it throws your belts off, now your whole vehicle's down for the air conditioning. So the the fewer systems you have on it, the fewer failure points you have on it, and the less you have to maintain. The fourth one I add in is what I call maintainability. I don't think that's really a word, but I, I use it. And that is, can you work on it yourself with the tools you have? Can you do it on the side of the road? Are there any special or unusual tools required for that vehicle? Uh, and that goes back and, and meshes somewhat with reliability. The more simple the vehicle is, the more simple the construction, the easier it is for you to work on it, the easier it is for you to learn to work on it, the fewer tools you will need. There are some great vehicles out there that are just absolutely a nightmare to work on. Uh, I know some of the newer Ford pickups require you to remove the cab to do a lot of things on the engine, and that's fine for a dealership, but none of us are going to be able to do that. So you want to really look hard at that. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that right now. Um, and I was a diesel mechanic, uh, as you were primarily. That's what you are if you're a mechanic in the military is you work on diesels. Um, and I know diesels well, but these newer trucks, you mentioned Ford. I have a Ford F-350 Super Duty, and it's a great truck. But I just got one of them terrible phone calls from a dealership on a problem uh, that has me putting several thousand dollars into this vehicle of uh, worth of work. And it's it's work that I, I if I did it I probably wouldn't do it as good and even though I know what I'm doing uh, I don't really have time to do it um, where a more simple vehicle wouldn't have this issue. Uh, that that's exactly it, Jack, and, and that does relegate us back to some of the older diesel vehicles because they're simply not allowed to make a simple vehicle anymore. The EPA requirements, the emission requirements, the safety requirements um, make it almost impossible for them. So that does limit us if you're looking at this stuff on some of the years that you can get into, but it, it's worth it 
to be able to do it yourself for the times when you won't be able to go to the dealership, be it that the dealership's not there or even that you've lost your job and you can't afford to take it to the dealership, even stuff like that. Yeah, I completely agree. And, I mean, you recommend diesel vehicles, and we're going to get into why in just a second, but I want to kind of, like, put this in perspective for a second. I, when I went in the Army, um, we still had to cut these. Uh, we're just basically an old uh, GM-style pickup truck or Blazer, Chevy, whatever you want to call it. And uh, a lot of guys belittled them and all, but as a mechanic, they were pretty easy to work on. Then we got the Humvees, and we had to basically make these uh, beat-to-hell vehicles as good as we could before we turned them in. And we thought they were a lot better until, like, the first time I had gaskets go out on the uh, on the, the, the valve cover, gaskets go out on a Humvee, and I had to pull that tunnel cover off and cut my hand to shreds to get the fuel lines off so I could get the, the valve covers off. And then you have to try to put it back on because they use a gasket material instead of an actual gasket. And uh, I was really wanting the old vehicle back. That, that, there's a lot of truth to that. In fact, my, my daily driver is actually an old Tuckabee pickup because I love them so much. I've I've modified a lot of things on it. It's uh, it's got an overdrive transmission now where I can actually do highway speeds and some some other things. But <laughs> wherever that is I an go, issue. Yeah. wherever I go, I know I've got enough tools behind the seats, and the few parts that I know could fail and leave me stranded sitting behind the seat, I can I can fix it on the side of the road. Yeah, and it's not hard. I mean, if you have to put a starter in one of those, it's a it's a 20-minute job. Brakes are like any other truck out there. I mean, they're pretty easy to work on. But you always recommend diesel, or at least you highly recommend diesel. I want to put words in your mouth. Um, why do you do that? And, and when you say that, because we're kind of hitting on this already, what, what do you mean when you say, what kind of diesel do you mean? Well, uh, that actually goes into my fourth one is what I call sustainability. And it's it's two parts. The first is how available are parts. Um, I used to have a Unimog, and if any of your people, little listeners, know what they are, it's a Mercedes truck made for a lot of the European armies. And it's an amazing off-road vehicle, but if you needed parts, there were two dealers on the East Coast that might have it, or else it's coming from Germany. So you have to look at that. And the other thing is um, alternative fuels, which is one of the reasons I recommend diesels. Um, my Cuck V pickup, it's an old GM 6.2 liter. I run it right now on a 50-50 mix of used motor oil and diesel fuel. It can run on vegetable oil, uh, brand new vegetable oil, used vegetable oil if you filter it properly. It can run on biodiesel. It can run on automatic transmission fluid almost 100%. It can run on uh, just about hydraulic oil. If you go into a tractor supply company and there's five-gallon jugs of hydraulic oil, you can literally pour that 10-weight hydraulic oil in the tank on on one of these old pickups and run down the road on it. And that ability to get the other fuels and use them is a huge advantage. And one of the other reasons is a few years ago we had a major fuel shortage on the East Coast due to some hurricanes. All the places that were out of gasoline still had diesel. And if they didn't have diesel, they had kerosene, which all your diesel vehicles will run on. So I could always get fuel driving a diesel during that period when a lot of people were having to limit their activity and get in long lines for gas. So that is that is uh, part of the reason why I recommend diesel. Another one is that on your older diesel engines, they're actually simpler, and there's actually fewer points to fail on them to go wrong. So they can be more reliable and last longer. 
How do you feel about this? Um, if if I buy a any vehicle today, a new vehicle, I need computers and all this other stuff, and that's bad enough. But if I get a manual that tells me how to work on it, it's a pretty complex manual, and it assumes I know a lot of things. If I go pick up an old um, Cut V, for instance, like you drive, if I, if I go get a, a, a Dash 10, a Dash 20, and a Dash 20P manual for that, they're written for soldiers to be simple, and it basically those three manuals will tell me every single thing I need to know to maintain that vehicle at kind of an operator first-level maintenance uh, level. And I actually never thought of that until I had you on there right now this second, but that seems like a tremendous advantage to me. It is when you're looking at some of the military ones, and also if you get a civilian uh Diesel pickup from the 80s from GM, those manuals, those military manuals are 90% the same. The only difference is really the electrical system. Yeah, you've got the the, the uh, 12 volt versus uh, 24 or 48. I mean, and and it, otherwise, it's 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 not much different at all. And on some of the other diesels, there are plenty of simple manuals out there. The Haynes manuals and some of the others are written from the from the perspective of. A do-it-yourself or uh, some of the other ones other than G- the GM 62s and 65s uh, that are that are very good for this. For the older Ford 6.9s and 7.3s, uh, they came from about 82 to 94 in the uh, the Ford vehicles. Your Cummins uh, 5.9 6BTs and uh, the the B series that were available from uh, 89 to 98. Those are all great choices that I would recommend, and I'm not going to sit here and say which one's best and which one's not because each one's going to suit a person. And, and also I've found that car guys are like gun guys. If you get on here and say, well, this is absolutely the best firearm, <laughs> you're going to get a, enough hate mail to yeah your servers. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's like it's like debating the 3006 and the 308. You, you can get people to m- march that tune all day long, and in the end, a dead deer is a dead deer. And whatever one you like better is whatever one you like better. On the cut fees, though, um, I'm interested in your choice on that. I'm just thinking right now. I know some surplus places selling them, and you got to work on them. They're they're beat pretty hard, but I know you can pick them up for about three grand. And I'm about to put almost that much into repair on my truck. And I'm thinking I could go buy a couple of those and, and have them as spares. And if my truck breaks down to hell with it, they really are pretty affordable, aren't they? They are. They are. And uh, one of the things that I like about them is the military ordered them. Like I said, very simple. There's no extra stuff on them. About the only thing I recommend for the person using it uh, mostly for prep use is to convert it from 12 to, to 12 uh, from the 24-volt system. And there are some very good how-to guides out there for it. I, I, I've never done one, but just knowing what I know about them, it can't be that hard. Uh, no, it, you, you buy a starter, and you can actually sell the 24-volt starter usually for more than you paid for the 12 Okay. And and it's actually already has two 12 volt alternators on it, so all you're really doing is just running off one of those and removing the other one. Okay, that makes sense. I... Uh, and one of the other things is about all these older vehicles. The internet is one of the greatest resources. There are websites dedicated to, to fans of every one of them. So if you ever have questions, you get on there and you look and you learn. Uh, for the Cuckfees, the best one out there is one I'm on a lot called Steel Soldiers, which is nothing but guys that collect and restore and have fun with old military vehicles. And there are Cummins forums, there are Ford uh, diesel forums, you name it, they're out there. So there, there's some great resources for people that are investigating these if they want to look at a, a lot of owners' experiences before they buy one.
And um, I mean, are there any other things you think of on that that electrical conversion? Would you recommend uh, just changing the the wiring arrangement and keeping both the batteries, uh, or going to a single battery setup when you make that electrical conversion? Uh, you, you definitely on a diesel need still need two batteries. You're just going to be running them uh, in parallel instead of series. Okay, that's what I was you'll need the amperage. And, in fact, I can send you an um, email so you can put a link to the conversion guide that's available on the web. I think that would be great because I think there's going to be a lot of interest in this. I mean, just honestly dealing with some things like I've got a couple other vehicles I'm thinking about getting rid of and we're thinking about getting a Jeep, and I'll probably still do that. But I like having free vehicles, and this really plan has me going to two. And, and it really has me maybe just some nostalgia as well. And I think for all military guys that, that worked on or drove those things, the Cut V has a special place for us, like you're saying, with certain people just liking certain things. That's true. And the biggest limitation on, on the Cut V pickups is, once again, the gearing. 55 is about your max top speed that you're going to want to do uh, for any sustained period. They'll do up to 70, but you're really pushing the engine. Yeah, you're hurting them. There used to, you know, remember the old myth? I'm sure you heard this all the time. Well, you know, that vehicle over there, they took the governor off of it. Now, what are you talking about? You know, it's, it's all about gearing and ratios. So how much, how much did it cost and how much trouble is it to swap out and go to an overdrive transmission? Uh, I had a local transmission place do it for me and he did the whole job for $1,650 and that included a brand new rebuilt 700R4 transmission that he built to be strong enough to handle it. Wow. Well, that's, that's hard. You, you, you get a hiccup in a modern transmission and you get $1,600 in, in, in cost, let alone a brand new one. Oh, easily. And now with, with, with that change on the highway, if I'm unloaded and doing 65, I'm pushing 20 miles to the gallon. That's awesome. And that's, that's, you know, that's another thing I never thought of with making that change. There's probably a huge mileage, uh, increase with it. Oh, there is. There definitely is. Yeah. And now the Cuck V Blazers had 308 gears, so they will cruise along at highway speed and get uh, in excess of 20 miles to the gallon in their stock form. If there's a if there's a wrecked ass old uh, Cuck V Blazer, will that those transmissions swap straight out? I, I don't really remember on that because I never had to do one. We got rid of them so quick. Well, yes, but uh, since the the Blazers actually had 308 gears, you really don't even need to do anything uh, on that. No, I meant taking the Blazers transmission over to a, a, a Cut V pickup. Oh no, they they actually had the same transmission. It's just the uh, oh, it's the gearing. The gearing was Duh. different. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, and on the mileage thing, though, you're not real worried about it. You talked about all these alternative fuels you can use. I want to talk to you about a couple of them. One, when you mentioned vegetable oil, I want people to understand you don't mean doing some kind of biofuel creation off of vegetable oil. You mean taking a big old jug of corn oil or canola oil and dumping it straight in, right? That's correct. Um, you can do that. There are some limitations. Number one, if it's not brand new oil, it needs to be very well filtered, and you need to remove the water from it. And there are a lot of different ways people are removing the water. Some people are heating it up. Um, there's actually a, a video of YouTube of a guy using one of those heaters like you got uh, to heat 55-gallon drums of vegetable oil to boil the water off. That's interesting. Um, there's guys that run them through a goldenrod-type filter like you can buy at Tractor Supply, but you have to get the water out and you have to get it filtered down to about 2 microns. And, and you don't want to stick it in something like my Jetta Diesel. That's no. It's a different type of vehicle. And then one more thing on that before we go on to, to your uh, your motor oil mixture uh, that you're doing on the uh, vegetable oil and things like that that have not been made into a true biofuel. 
That works real good in the summer, but not so good in the winter. You want to tell folks why? That's exactly it. it uh, the, the fuel, uh, it will gel up on you. And I know people, depending on where they live, sometimes they run a 50-50 blend. Sometimes they run an 80-20 blend. And the best way to test it to see if a blend you're considering will work is simply get some glass jars, mix your vegetable oil with your diesel fuel in different ratios, and set it outside on a cold night and walk out there the next morning and see if it's still just as liquid or if it started to gel. And then you'll know uh, how, how much of a mixture you can tolerate. I guess you could toss it in the refrigerator, too, and you'd at least know what about 38 degrees does to it. True. <laughs> uh, so, but on this uh, on this mixture, I'm sure this is probably one of the biggest things people tuned in today to hear. So you're going to get old motor oil, and you're taking that and doing a mix of that with diesel fuel. How are you doing that, and, uh, you know, how's it working out for you? Where are you, where are you getting it from, and, uh, and what do you actually have to do to it? Because I know you have to clean it up. Uh, I get the motor oil mostly from friends. I'm not running it 100% of the time. It's still an experimental thing for me, but I've probably burned uh, 1,500 gallons or so over the last few years doing it. Uh, I tend to burn more of it when diesel prices are high, obviously. But the first step is uh, once you collect it, uh, you have to filter and dewater it just like you have to do the vegetable oil. I let it sit uh, in a large drum for, for at least several days, and a lot of the water will settle out of it then. Then I take the, the oil off uh, from the top so the water in the bottom stays there, and it goes into a smaller tank. And then from there, I push it through uh, filters. And my first filter is actually one of the blue home, whole house style filters that you see are under sink filters that you uh, see for water systems because they'll also filter uh, fuel just the same, and it's a 25 micron filter. Then it goes through... Another filter, which I actually bought on eBay, which is a large fuel and water separator um, from a, uh, a marine application because I'm, I'm all about doing things cheap. So I saw this and I grabbed it when it was cheap. And then it goes through another one of those whole house water filter type setups that's down to two micron. And so when the oil comes out, it's dry and it's filtered down to two microns, which the stock filter on my truck is only at 15 microns. So it's well in excess of what the truck needs to uh, to run. And after that, it now before that, I should have said, it, it gets mixed with about uh, 30% diesel because that thins it out and makes it much easier to pump through. And it's all pumped through with a small uh, electric fuel pump I actually pulled off a truck at the junkyard. So when you're you before, you're not you're filtering it with diesel added, not not just adding diesel after. I, I am. Yeah, I, I do that just uh Simply to make it easier to push through the filters, and then so that's only a thir- that's a thirty seventy mix. So then you're adding more diesel at the end. And then usually when I when I put it in the tank, uh, the truck's already got about a quarter of a tank or so. So I end up with anywhere from a a forty to sixty percent mix in there. Very cool. And how's how's the vehicle as far as its power, its mileage? Do you do you lose anything there? Uh, power is the same. Mileage is the same. It it actually runs just a little bit quieter with it. Now, uh, uh, I'll have people tell me, well, you're going to ruin the engine with it, uh, but I've known a lot of people that have done it. I'll have people tell me there's no harm to the engine with it. I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I don't doubt that I'm probably putting uh, a little more wear on my injection pump and my injectors. However, uh, one of the wonders of the 6.2 is those parts are cheap. 
They, yeah, yeah, they're a lot cheaper than rings and a and a and, a, and reboring a motor block. And I'm I'm thinking that you're probably extending that. Probably him. Uh, I just bought a six two injection pump on eBay for a hundred dollars and a set of injectors for forty dollars. So if I avoid three tank Phillips at the pump, I've already paid for that, and I've already avoided uh, a lot more than that. So even if I do damage those parts down the road, I, I've still come out money ahead by a long shot. And there are parts that will sooner or later fail anyway in most situations. So I mean, let's let's key in a little bit on the cut because I think there's a lot of interest in that, or there will be after this episode. Um, if you were, if I was going to buy one tomorrow, and I said, okay, Tim, what? What parts should I keep on hand right in the vehicle? So if it breaks down, um, you know, if I, I've got a grand I can play with on this, and I want to make sure that the most common parts that break down are right there. I'm going to have tools with them, and if it breaks down, I'm just going to be able to fix it. Um, for that, what I keep in mind is I have an injection pump and a set of injectors, a rebuilt alternator, and a starter. And a fuel pump. And the fuel pump's actually an electric, uh, which I'm eventually going to bypass the mechanical pump and just go all electric and carry a spare electric. But uh, other than those, the only other things that are really there that can break to really leave you stranded are the big things like a transmission or an axle that you couldn't carry anyway. Belts and hoses? Belts and hoses, yeah, uh, the small parts. Belts I carry, hoses I carry. Um, I've got a few gaskets, uh, but usually I just keep a uh, tube of gasket maker. And uh, I've considered carrying a water pump, but I haven't started doing that. And one of the reasons is that you can go into almost every single parts store anywhere and buy a 6.2 water pump. So I'll probably end up changing my water pump uh, in another 20,000 miles as just a preventative feature. And then the used one I take off will, will get put in there because it's still good. Not to mention it would be a pretty brutal job on the side of the road anyway. You could do it, but... Um, when I've changed water pumps, it's always involved a few cuss words and at least one adult beverage. Yes. Because <laughs> all the gasket material that's stuck on the block that you got to get off and things like that. Um, on hoses and belts, what I've gone to do, and maybe I'm making a mistake, but I just change them every so often. And what I'll do when I change them is I take the ones that I took off that are still in decent repair, and I use them as my spares. And that way I always have brand new ones on the vehicle. And when I go to my next scheduled maintenance, where I'm going to replace my belts and hoses, uh, I take the ones that were there and I put them into the storage shed and then I take the ones I just took off and that way there's always a spare to at least get me home and there's a stockpile of stuff laying around. That, that's exactly what I do on most of my stuff. If I'm going through and replacing it as a preventative maintenance, the, the, the used one that I know is still good, that's good enough to get me af- off the road after a breakdown usually goes in there. The only exception to that is I usually keep a new set of belts. Yeah, uh, I probably should. And, uh, they're cheap, and if I have to wrestle with them, I want to put new ones on. Yeah, that's true. That makes a lot of sense. I should probably put a new set of belts everywhere, but at least I'm not totally nuts if we're doing basically the same thing there. Um, what are some of the risks with uh, with using an oil mix like you're talking about, other than you know maybe reducing the wear on the injectors or the injector pump or what have you? The increased wear is probably the biggest one. Uh, you, you have to watch that. Um, you can get a catastrophic failure of your parts if you don't get all the water out. Uh, water will uh, destroy an injection pump in a heartbeat if it gets past the filter. So you have to be very careful about getting the water out of your uh, your oil and be very careful about where you get your oil from. If you're getting it from a guy who's got a big tank out behind his garage that's got an open cap on it where the rain goes in, you probably want to pass on that. 
And the other thing uh, everybody needs to look into is look up the laws for your particular state on if you need to pay the road use tax on that diesel, on that fuel. Because it, it can, in some states, be the same uh, offense in the eyes of the law running uh, waste oil through as it can be running off-road diesel running it untaxed. And every state is a little bit different on that. So, uh, you know, realistically, I don't think anybody's going to get bothered, but if they do happen to see you dumping oil in there and there's a, a DMV agent who's having a bad day, he might come up and say, let's see your uh, tax forms where you paid your highway use tax. Gotcha. That would, that's a gotcha I didn't think about. Uh, I, I would say you're probably a little less likely to be easily caught with it because at least it's not dyed red. Uh, that's very true. <laughs> I know in the state of North Carolina, in order to convict you, they actually since so many people dump uh, transmission fluid in uh, their fuel now, they actually send the uh, fuel sample off to a lab that tests for the specific dye. To make sure it's not Dextron 2, because yes. if it's Dextron 2, it's not, it's not a foul, at least there. So that's something I hadn't thought of. Um, uh, when you, you talk about all this maintenance and stuff, and for me, you know, these basic changeouts are pretty easy, but for the person that's, uh, that's just, you know, finally going from a point of, I'm just going to take it to a guy for everything it needs, how do they start learning to do this basic maintenance? Um, the first step is, is buy the manuals. By the manuals. I know when you were an army mechanic and it hasn't changed now, if you were doing a job and, and, and your motor sergeant walked out and you didn't have the book open, he would have probably put his boot up your hind end. Yeah, even if I'd done the job 87 times yesterday. Yep. The, the manuals are, are the, the first step. Uh, if you, if you want to really learn, a lot of the community colleges uh, offer classes. One of the Big tips I tell people is a lot of the junkyards now are going to the, this pull-apart model where you go onto the junkyard and you take the part off you want. And, and that has two advantages. Number one, you get really spare, cheap spare parts uh, for your vehicle. Number two, you pulled it off yourself, so you gain the experience. You know what tools you need. You know how it happened. If you can take it off, you can put it back on. Uh Example, I was at a pull-apart junkyard the other day, and I just happened to luck upon a Cuck V, and both alternators were in there, and, and $10.63 each later, I had two spare alternators. And, and to me, that's awesome. And, and you're, you're selling me on going ahead and doing something I've been kicking around for a long time right now. Uh, on the uh, on the using motor oil, do you have any resources you can recommend online where people can learn more about that? Um, one of the uh, I mentioned the Steel Soldiers Forum. Uh, a lot of the guys on there are, uh, are doing it. Uh, they have an alternative fuel section there. If you Google uh, the term just WMO for waste motor oil or WMO fuel, you'll pull up a lot of resources. And also, uh, a lot of the farmers used to do this a long time ago, and they called it black diesel. So if you look for that term, you can find it. Now that's one I hadn't heard. I'd never heard black diesel, so uh, that's that's pretty cool. If you don't mind, I mean, I think we covered this subject pretty good. I'd like to talk a little bit about maybe what we keep in that vehicle. I'm sure if you're going through all this trouble to have a highly reliable, highly dependable vehicle, you're carrying some things other than spare parts in case it breaks down. Sure, uh, I've got, uh, of course, my basic tool set, and and I've got a few specialty tools that I know I would need. Um, one of them. In particular, I've learned to always carry is, is an S-shaped gear wrench, uh, which is very handy for getting to the bottom bolts on the injection pump if I ever need to change it. And yeah, and if you don't have it, you'll wish you did. Yeah, I, I, you, before gear wrench came out with that particular one, I had taken a torch and made my own uh, 
wrenches in about the same shape because the only alternative was the uh, snap-on version that was about 80 bucks, and I'm just too cheap for that. Tim, you know the tool that I really think is like a, a bargain is uh, the ratchets that aren't really a ratchet. They just look like almost like a flat combination wrench, but they're a circle on both ends, and they've got the ratchet built into them. And you can get those on the bolts and nuts that you can't get a regular ratchet on, and they'll turn a quarter to eighth of a turn at a time, and you can buy a set of those for you know 20 or 30 bucks. And if the first time you need one of those, to me, they're they're priceless. Oh, yes. The, the gear wrenches, uh, those style are, are great. I've got a set of those in there. Um, i got a set of regular wrenches also in case I need to put really a lot more torque on something because I don't want to damage my gear wrench. Um, and uh, people always come after me and say, what tool brand do you carry? And I, to be honest with you, I've got good tools at home and in my vehicles. Uh, I usually carry cheaper tools because I know they're more likely to get stolen. I know they're more likely to get lost, uh, stuff like that. So, I completely know, agree. The snap-on stay at home. Snap-on stay at home. And, you know, <laughs> Harbor Freight stuff especially. I've also got a CJ7 that's got a bikini top on it, so my tools are in the back of an ammo can, and they're probably going to get stolen sooner or later, so I'm not going to give them anything. In fact, I think the ammo can's worth more than the tools. <laughs> and you can find a lot of stuff at flea markets and stuff like that, too. I'm always looking for stuff like that. What do you need another you know, uh, set of vice grips for? Well, I don't know, but they're a dollar, so... You know, I'm going to pick them up. Um, what about some other stuff beyond the tools? I mean, just some preparedness items that you make sure are always in your vehicles. Um, I always have an entrenching tool in case I need to dig the vehicle out. Uh, one of the big things I'm a big fan of is the high-lift jack. Because the high-lift jack, when you've got the attachments, you can use it to get unstuck if you're stuck in a rut by uh, jacking the vehicle up high enough and then actually pushing it over so the wheels fall off to the side out of the rut. It, you can use it uh, as a winch because you can run chain from it, and actually, it, you know, it's almost like a come along. You're not going to pull it far, but you're going to pull it eventually far enough to get yourself unstuck. Uh, it'll lift the vehicle up, and at times when when a standard uh, uh, jack that comes with the vehicle won't do it, it it's a very flexible tool. Uh, in fact, when I was first started, I used to be a volunteer firefighter, and before a lot of the fire departments had the fancy rescue tools. The high-lift jack was one of the tools that was actually used to uh, pull a vehicle that was crushing a person uh, lifted apart because of the torque it provides. Um, let me make sure I'm, I know what you're talking about there because I carry in each one of my vehicles basically a floor jack on wheels. Are you talking about a brand name thing here, or are you talking about just replacing that crappy bumper or scissor jack with something like I'm talking about? Uh, no, the high lift jack, it's a brand name, but they're also sold, uh, uh, copies of it sold as farm jacks. But uh, if you look at it, it's basically like a bumper jack on steroids that's been modified for uh, additional uses. In fact, when I was in Afghanistan, every one of our Humvees carried one because it was that much faster to be able to change a tire if you had to when you were out where you didn't want to hang around for a while. So if uh, if you just uh, high lift, it's H-I-L-I-F-T, and if your listeners look for that, that is one I strongly recommend everybody carry. I'll make sure I provide links for those in today's show notes, man. Thanks for that one because I was not aware of that tool, and it sounds very, very useful. Um, what about some other things? I mean, some general preparedness stuff that you want to make sure is in a prep vehicle? Uh, I've got uh, basically my get you know get home bag with all my general stuff, and I know you've done shows on, on all that, so I won't go to everything that's in it. 
I have a, a very large first aid kit in it, and that's kind of a carryover from when I was running first responder calls on the fire department. And it's about the same size of that one. And I, I kind of developed a philosophy that I always wanted my biggest and best first aid kit to be in my car. Because when I'm at home, my car is at home. When I'm at work, my, my car is at work. When I'm on the road, my car is there. So it's always close. And that I carry. And uh, I carry – actually, one of the things I do carry, which is a neat tool, it's probably not as much preparedness related as it is. I just do a lot of welding. But there's a, a device called a ready welder, and it is a welder that is battery-powered off your batteries, and it takes 24 volts, and it can weld up to three-quarter-inch steel off of basically 24 volts from two vehicle batteries. And one of the advantages of the military vehicles like the Cuckby, since they are 24 volts, I can actually hook into that slave cable port, that jumper cable port on the front, and I can weld with it just with the engine idling. Uh, so that that would probably be – if anybody asked me about a preparedness-minded welding setup, I would recommend the ready welder first because all you need are two charged 12-volt batteries to weld. And you could actually even charge those from a solar system and have a what amounts to a solar-powered welder. That's uh, very cool. I'll definitely look that up and uh – and provide links to that as well, a ready welder. Eh? Um, you mentioned earlier when you were talking about the high lift jack about you know using it as a come along basically. Do you recommend people like you know you're going into kind of the accessorizing thing a little bit here? Uh, you know, include things like a come along or a winch. Is is that as a good modification? Is it something you've personally done? Uh, I've got the high lift in mind right now. I've got a winch. I haven't gotten around to mounting yet. And a lot of that, uh, it's going to depend on your situation. Some people are going to be much more likely to be in a situation where they'll need a winch than others. Um, you know, if if you live down in the Everglades and swampy areas, you might be more likely to need it than if you live in an area where there's very little stuff to get stuck in. And if you live in the middle of the city, you might be a little less likely to need it than if you live out in the country. Uh, one thing I do recommend if, if people get a winch is pay very close attention to all the safety requirements for it. I've seen a lot of people injured by winches uh, by doing unsafe things with them. But a winch is a handy tool. A come-along is definitely a handy tool to have. Uh, and either a winch, a come-along, or the high-lift jack, uh, one of those is, is, is a good thing to have. You know, you, one thing you mentioned was using the welder off the slave cable, but you also mentioned converting the vehicle to 12 volts. So Yeah, it, if you convert it to 12 volts, then that's not doable. That's probably one of the reasons I left mine at 24. Gotcha. And it's a bit of a trade-off, but um, if I had to, I can always – I know how to rig a 12-volt starter on the vehicle once, I'm, once you're familiar with the system. So uh, if, if I need to, I can make it 12 pretty fast. Gotcha. Uh, if somebody didn't have that or they weren't like me and had other military vehicles and generators that were 24 volts that they might need to jump start um, – then the 12 volt conversion becomes more viable. Gotcha. Yeah, because the slave cable port, for folks that don't know, there's a, there's a port on the vehicles, and there's a thing called the slave cable. And if you need to jump one military vehicle with another military vehicle, you just plug the slave cables into the operational vehicle and the slave cable into non operational vehicle. You don't have to look the hood, and boom, and you're off. Uh, so if you have multiple ones, that makes sense that you wouldn't want to do that conversion. I really didn't think about that. Same reason the military did it in the first place. Yep, that, that's exactly it. Um, but since you've got the two batteries already, 
on your vehicle, if you if you're going to use it to weld and you've converted it to weld it to uh, 12 volt, it's a simple matter of disconnecting the batteries, reconnecting them with a, a, a set of jumper cables to a 24 volt, and just plugging them into the uh, the ready welder. Yeah, yeah, I can't see why that wouldn't work just fine. So that's that's pretty cool. That's something I didn't expect to get out of you today. How to weld with your vehicle? Are those things pretty expensive or? Um, I, if I remember right, mine was about in the six hundred dollar range, and now there are people out there that have demonstrated that you can actually weld uh, with just a set of jumper cables, twenty four volts, and actually putting the welding rod into the uh, jumper cable and, and welding. I, I don't recommend it because you don't have any control; you're just putting pure power to it. If it's a you know survival situation or got to get you out of the woods or something it'll patch it together but uh the ready welder gives you a lot more control and it's a big welder so that gives you a much better option very very cool um anything else you have you want to add today maybe i mean this has been just awesome uh the only other thing i've got in mind is is i do have one of the dewalt 18 volt uh cordless impacts okay and uh that's been a very handy tool you know if, if changing a tire or something, it speeds it up. Um, doing other jobs, you can't get it into a lot of stuff, but there's been enough enough times where it's been very handy that it's it's sped up repairs. Usually on somebody else's vehicle, where I stop to stop stop to help somebody with a flat tire or something. Yeah, you know, on, on that note, you're talking about quality of tools earlier. For me, with power tools, and I guess everybody has their brand, but Dewalt is mine. And I, I feel if you're going to invest the money in a power tool, the 18-volt series from DeWalt is probably the best you can get your hands on. I, I agree. And one of the reasons I went with it is there's so such a variety of them, and it seems like you can buy DeWalt 18-volt tools and batteries everywhere. And, and uh, that, what they're doing now that I'm like, I'm like finally, because I have all this 18-volt DeWalt stuff, is now when you go out to buy a DeWalt tool, you can almost always find the tool without another battery and charger if you don't feel you need another one. Yes, and, and that's that's the way I bought most of mine lately, and I've just been uh, going to the local battery, uh, I think it's a Mr. Battery franchise, and they will sell you the battery packs to rebuild your battery packs. You open it up, you solder new batteries in there, and you've got a brand new NICAD pack when yours wear out too. Really? I'm going to have to look at how you get those things apart because they're not cheap. No, they're not, and, and the replacement batteries are just a fraction of the cost. And, uh, usually I end up taking a Dremel and just cutting around the seam. There are guys that have managed to crack them open, and some yeah. of the old, some of the newer ones are screw, have a screws in the bottom, and they come apart easy. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'll have to check that out. Hey, man, I mean, this has been a great episode. Let's tell folks a little bit about Old Grouch Military Surplus, though, since you've been kind enough to give us all of this uh, this education today. What's, what's your store, and uh, when did you start it, and what kind of stuff can people find there? Sure. Uh, our store is uh, we're located in downtown Clyde, North Carolina, which Clyde is a is a just a bit larger than some small some WalMarts, so we're not a very big town. Uh, if you're ever coming through I-40 uh, into Western North Carolina, be sure to stop by and see us. We've been there for 22 years now, and we've been in the surplus business as a family for over 30 years now. I actually grew up in the business. Um, my dad got into it. Uh, kind of by accident, doing it as a hobby, and then his job went away, and his hobby became his career, and uh, we went from there, and we're still there, and we sell uh, a full line of just about everything military surplus. I like to say we're a traditional, real military surplus store. We don't have a bunch of Chinese stuff. 
I don't have a bunch of blue jeans. If you come in the store, you will see military surplus, and it'll be all it's all in disarray, and everybody wonders well, how in the world can you find it because there's stuff all over the place in piles, but we do know where it is. Uh, we carry a, a big line of first aid kits. We've got uh, tactical gear, mostly surplus stuff. I have some new stuff, but uh, I tend to advise a lot of people that surplus stuff will get you the same functionality for a lot less money. Um, I wish I could find more of those great Italian packs like you did the review on, but right now they're just not any available. It's the best best pack pack to come out of Mill Serp that I've ever seen. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, the people have asked me about the capacity, and, and my, my thought has been it exceeds yours. Uh, if you fill that thing, you're going to have a hard time going anywhere. The capacity is unbelievable, and the quality of the damn things, I, I really can't believe it. It's become my, my kind of my bug out bag for the truck. Is is all packed up in there now. And, and let me, if you don't mind me saying one thing on those, on that last run we got, I had three or four people call me where they had broken straps, and, and we refunded them or made adjustments to them. But if anybody out there got one and the straps broke, please get in touch with me because uh, I don't know why those came in with some bad material on them, but they did, and I don't want anybody out there unhappy with the product. And it's certainly not indicative of the product itself overall because the one I have is I think you can carry freaking a couple uh, a couple hundred pounds of weights around in it if you wanted to. So I'm glad to hear you've made it right for those folks, and I really don't expect anything less. Now you said you have a little bit of new stuff, so when I ask this question, I don't mean new like brand new out of the box. I mean you got anything new that's come in recently that's kind of something people want to check out? Um, I've got a few of the new first aid kits, larger first aid kits we were able to get. Uh, parachute cord, uh, I've got up to 22 colors now because parachute cord, a lot of folks are really, uh, going over, making a lot of the bracelets and other things out of it, so that's become really popular. Um, the immersion heaters have been a big seller for us, and as we're getting toward colder weather, we're selling even more of those to, uh, mostly farmers, but a lot of greenhouse owners and, uh, folks doing other stuff like that. Um, you're, you're almost out of those, aren't you? I've, I think we're down to, between myself and the guy we're splitting them with, maybe 100, 120 left. Folks, I'm going to tell you this. I owe a, a review to Tim on this. I will get one done. I've got travel in my future right now. I'm putting a greenhouse in at the end of the month. That's probably when I'll do it because that's my first plan for it is to be able to hit up, heat up a great big stainless steel garbage can and provide heat to my greenhouse overnight. If you want one, do not wait on my freaking review to get one because they, they when they're gone, I don't think you're going to be able to get any more for a while. Uh, when they're gone, they're they're probably gone forever because the military's not buying those anymore, so there's no more. And, and what we've got is the stock that when they switched designs and declared this one obsolete, they just sold all the brand new ones off that they had in war reserve. So when they're gone, they're probably gone for good. And that's that's the the case with a lot of surplus. Uh, get a lot of people coming in saying, "Man, I wish I got this when you had it." And, uh, it makes me think of surplus firearms. I remember when the M1, the 30 carbine M1s, the little carbines, um, there was a place called Laneco or something like that in, in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Actually, it was down in Cresona where I went to high school. And uh, I, they were like 79 bucks. And they had racks and racks and racks of them. I don't know if you priced one of those lately, but they're not inexpensive at all anymore. Oh, no, and, and, and that tends to be the case with everything surplus. There are great times to buy everything, and if you time the market right, you can catch great deals on stuff. But if you wait too long, then, then the supply goes away. And that's one of the things I love about the business is I'm always having to look for new stuff and find new stuff. And 
and, and, and it surprises me every day what comes available. And when people want to buy some of this stuff from you, where do they go online to find it? Uh, our website is uh, old grouch, oldgrouch.com, or you can also, we have a Facebook page up, uh, Old Grouch. I've got a Twitter feed, which I probably need to be more active on. I've been neglecting that a little bit, but uh, you can catch up with us uh, in any of those ways. Great. Well, I'll make sure I put links to that and to all the great stuff you talked about today. Uh, Tim, thanks for being on the show with us today, and I'd love to have you back again, maybe to just talk about the surplus industry as a whole and some of the cool stuff that's out there. Maybe we can look at maybe next month sometime. Sure, that'd be great, Jack, and thanks for having me. All right, folks. Well, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today, along with Tim Glantz, helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution is